He is risen. I just, one of the things that I love, um, one of the many things that I love about our church and this time of year are some of the rhythms that our congregation walks through together. And one of those rhythms that we do here is on Thursday, we have a Maundy Thursday service that is congregationally led and it's, it's more solemn. It's where we're contemplating the, the sacrifice of, of Christ. We're contemplating the, the seriousness and the, the, the depth and the heaviness of that moment. And we actually leave here in a solemn mood, which is kind of hard for some of us who like being around one another. But we do it. And then we gather here today on Easter morning and we celebrate. And we have much to be thankful for. We have much to celebrate, don't we? The, the resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything, and my hope and my prayer is that you will be celebrating today. I know Casey's doing this great thing in our home to where instead of maybe the normal lukewarm ham and congealed salad, which is great, I love those foods, it's all the kids get to pick out their favorite dish, and so it's this air of excitement about going home and celebrating and partaking and eating and rejoicing, and this is how we should be as Christians. We have much, much to celebrate. We have much to rejoice in because the resurrection, the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection has the power to change you. I'm fascinated in life how much time we spend trying to change. How much time in life we, we spend trying to maybe develop a better version of ourselves. You know, how many of us, me included, spend time on YouTube or social media or reading magazines, if you still get magazines. I still get magazines to the church about how to be a better preacher and pastor. Even, even my gym, when I go in the gym where I work out, it says, be better than yesterday. <laughs> my watch, my watch often tells me things like this. Just 30 more minutes of brisk walking and you can meet your goal for today. And this, there's this real weird one. I don't know if this has happened to all of you, but, I, but the other weird one that's happened, I guess maybe from an update, is that every day I get this thing of just minutes of practicing mindfulness and you'll change. We are kind of obsessed with changing and we're kind of obsessed with being better and we're kind of obsessed with making progress. And that's not always a bad thing, except, except, at times, I think we bring this same attitude, this, thing, this same thought, to our relationship with God. Where we think, hmm, maybe if I can just do things better, maybe God will like me. Maybe God's not pleased with the version that I am today, and if I can just improve and be a little bit better than what I was yesterday, then God will accept me as one of His children. Easter, Easter is about this sobering reality that God is not into a better version of you. God is not into 
you getting better or earning his favor in some way. Easter is about that that is not the reality that we live in. Easter's about something miraculous. It's about something wonderful. You see, you can never earn God's favor or salvation. The brilliance, the wonderful, the majesty of Easter is that God has made a way for you. What you couldn't do, what I couldn't do, God did. Today, we are taking a break from Mark. It's interesting, in the, as we're going through the book of Mark together, we are in the, in the place where Jesus is getting ready to get arrested in, in the garden. And so I thought we would just take a break, and so I'm coming over to John. And, and this passage has been on my mind for a while as I've been considering Easter, and I, I want to jump into this. And today, we're looking at this interaction, this famous interaction of Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. And this is most famous um, for John 3.16, which we see at football games and all sporting events, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And this morning, we're not even really covering that verse. My watch just told me it didn't understand. Sorry. (laughs) Didn't meditate enough. We don't know much about this man Nicodemus. We have this famous interaction here in John 3. Later in the book Gospel of John, we see Nicodemus shows up again where they're looking to um, arrest and seize Jesus. And Nicodemus kind of has this thing about due process. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't just arrest him. You've got to hear what he's got to say. Kind of a half-hearted defense of Jesus. And then later in the Gospel of John, we see Nicodemus once more, once Jesus has died on the cross, that Nicodemus is helping prepare his body. But outside of that, we don't know much about Nicodemus. We don't even know much about what this encounter, what kind of impact it had upon him. Now, we do know some things from this text. If you're if you're still in John three, read with me. Verse one, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. This meant that Nicodemus was a religious leader. The Pharisees were experts in the Old Testament. They were experts in the old law. And and these two things can be pressed together. The fact that he was a Pharisee and a religious leader or, or, or a leader of the Jews, they can be pressed together. But I think what it gives us, I think the picture that it's painting for us of Nicodemus is that this guy was really good at what he was doing. He had made it all the way to a Pharisee. He had made it all the way to a ruler of the Jews. He had proven that he knew his stuff. And so what's a little bit odd, and we see this in some of the Gospels, but what is a little bit odd is that one of these religious leaders, one of these Pharisees, would be coming to Jesus. If you've been with us in our study through the book of Mark, you know that by this time that many of the Pharisees and religious leaders were seeking to destroy him. So it's interesting that here this man who belongs to this group who's not getting along with Jesus would come to Jesus and approach him. And notice the attitude. 
And I'm not saying attitude is like teenager bad attitude. I think it's a good uh, attitude here. Notice the attitude in verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Notice the attitude. He comes to Jesus and he calls him Rabbi. This is a respectful term. This term means teacher. Rabbi, teacher. We know that you have come from God. Now at times we see the Pharisees um, being smart alecks and, and trying to get Jesus and by flattering him, but that's not what's going on here. Here we have Nicodemus saying, there's something special about you. No one can do the signs that you do. Nicodemus had been around. He had seen some of the signs, some of the miracles. Maybe he had heard some of the teaching that Jesus did and his interest is piqued. He's interested. Notice what he is not saying. He's not saying, Savior, Lord, Son of God. That's not what Nicodemus is saying. He's interested, he's pleasant, and he comes to Jesus and he's curious. Many have made much about the fact that Nicodemus comes by night, and it could be, it could be that Nicodemus was timid, was scared of maybe what the other Pharisees might think of him, and he comes to Jesus by night. But it could also be, this was custom in the day, that a Pharisee, if you were going to come, and if you were going to debate things, and talk about things, and uh, be inquisitive about knowledge, that you might come to someone in the evening time, and that you may spend a whole lot of time that evening talking. In fact, it's Probable, this is speculation, but it's probable, maybe Nicodemus and Jesus spent hours together talking. We just get this little snippet. We just get this little snippet. You see, I think the reality of what is going on is that as Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, that Nicodemus finds Jesus useful in his endeavor to be a really good religious person. He's seen Jesus teach. He's seen Jesus do miracles. He's maybe heard of the wisdom of Jesus. And he's coming and saying, man, I think you can kind of help me get better. Improve. Isn't it fascinating in this text? uh, As you read this, Nicodemus doesn't ask a question that we know of. But Jesus provides an answer. Look at verse 3. Jesus just jumps right in. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is massive. This is potentially, for Nicodemus, life-altering. This is a massive paradigm shift That Jesus lays down. Nicodemus. In his worldview, In everything that he was. Is being taught. The way into the kingdom. Is by some other things. And Jesus is saying. You can't enter the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again. Pay attention Nicodemus. Truly, truly. You can't see the kingdom unless you were born again. This is massive and it's confusing for Nicodemus. 
When we talk about the kingdom of God, another way to maybe say this that may make it easier for us to understand is we're talking about the reign of God. The the idea here is to be a part of God's kingdom, to be a part of his family where where you are his people, you are his children, not only in the future. That's most often what we think about, and that's certainly true. But that that promise, that being in his family, that being a part of his reign, being under his lordship, that it's got implications now, that we're in the family now. And that means that all the promises for his children hold true as well. And Jesus is saying, you're not in the kingdom unless you are born again. You can't see the kingdom. You can't be a part of the kingdom unless you are born again. And this is major. You see, if you would have asked anybody in this day, if you would have asked Nicodemus, how do you become a part of the kingdom of God? In reality, he would have said to become Jewish. So for him, it was he was born into it. And the other thing is, you kind of keep yourself in the kingdom by obeying the laws of God and by not committing apostasy. Or not doing anything too bad that would exclude you from the kingdom. And so when Jesus comes along and says, you can't be, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. This is mind blowing for Nicodemus because according to him, according to the standards that he was living by, he was knocking it out of the park as far as being a part of the kingdom of God. And here Jesus is saying, you can't be there. And I wonder, I wonder, as we are listening to this this morning, as we're hearing the words of Jesus this morning, I wonder if this is rattling to some of you. Many times as I sit and I talk to people and they maybe find out I'm a pastor and they want to explain to me that they're a Christian, do you know what the first thing they start talking about is? Church attendance. My dad used to call this, and this is a good southern thing, we have a lot of non-southerners in the room, so I'm sorry, I'll explain some culture here to you. My dad used to call this mama and them religion. Mama and them went to church over here, and I've gone to church over here when I was little. Oftentimes, as I get further down the road in talking with someone about their faith journey, and trying to get to the point of where I'm talking about the gospel, they'll real quickly interrupt me and want to prove to me what a good person they are. What they do, what they don't do. I, I think part of our DNA, just as Americans, is that we believe in, we believe in, and we, many of you are products of the American dream. Work hard enough. Determined enough, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and you can make it. And if we just talked about the American dream in this room, many of you could raise your hand and be like, Whoa, no, listen, I can tell you this story of my life, of, of what's happened, of you know, how I've, my family, you know, where they came from and, and what they've done. And, and that's a good thing, but it becomes extremely problematic 
if that mindset infects the way we view our relationship with God. That we can pull ourselves up, that we can be good enough, that we can do something. Because what this text tells us, what the whole of Scripture tells us, hear me, is that you can't be good enough. You can't earn it. God is not interested in a better version of you. The reality is that you must be born again. A better version of you doesn't cut it. What God is looking for is complete transformation. That you're new, that you're a new creation, that you're not better. And this tripped up Nicodemus. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He can't enter a, a second time into his mother's womb, can he? It's interesting, in the original language, this phrase that you must be born again can be kind of taken two ways. You must be born again or you must be born from above. And Nicodemus seems to take this, you must be born again. And so he's asking Jesus this question. And then notice Jesus counters with, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone who is born from the spirit that Jesus is saying here. There's a lot of complicated things in this text, but hear me out. Hear me out. What Jesus is saying is that you must be born from above. That the Spirit's work is to come and to open your eyes and to do something inside of you, to regenerate you, to make you born again. Nicodemus, if you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. Your earthly birth, your work, has no use or no value when it comes to seeing the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is still confused. Look at verse 9 through 11 with me. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? And again, we have this phrase, which means really pay attention. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of and what we have seen. And you do not accept our testimony. Nicodemus was coming to Jesus because he noticed something about him that drew him to Jesus, that interested him. His signs, his wonders, his miracles. And Jesus is saying, you don't understand who I am. You don't understand who I am. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And what Jesus is telling him is this. I am not just a teacher. I am not just kind of gifted or maybe special or, you know, in the line of a prophet. I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of God. Take for a moment who this is that is speaking. John tells us in the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 
and he was in the beginning with God, and all, came, all things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it, that Jesus is the Word. He was with God, he is God, and he has come to the earth to shed light on the total, complete reality. And a, bit, a little bit later, again, this is talking about Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh, and He dwelt among us. And we saw His glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He comes after me, has a higher rank than I, for He existed before me. For He is the fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. No one has ever seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. This person who is speaking to Nicodemus is God. He is the Son of God. He is from heaven. I love later in this Gospel, in John chapter 6, where Jesus says some crazy things. And everybody scatters because he says some crazy things. And he asks his disciples, are you going to go too? And, his, and Peter answers and says this, where else would we go? You have the words of life. The word Jesus is speaking here to Nicodemus. And he's telling Nicodemus, pay attention. And I love what he does here. Nicodemus is not understanding what he's saying. And so he goes Old Testament on Nicodemus. The guy who's the PhD in Old Testament, right? The ruler, the Pharisee. And he, he goes to this really odd account in the book of Numbers. Look at verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the sun be lifted up. A really odd place. Jesus is comparing himself to a serpent. In the book of Numbers, we have the Israelites who were in the wilderness. They were waiting to go into God's promised land. They had just had a military victory, and we find that they're complaining to God. And that once again, they're saying, what did you do? Bring us out into this wilderness to die. They're not trusting God. They're complaining. They're complaining about the food. And God sends a curse. Snakes. And the snakes come and they bite the people. And the people, some of them die. And the people come to Moses and they say, Moses, can you do something here? Can you talk to God? And Moses goes and he intercedes for the people. And God tells him, put a bronze serpent on a staff and put it up. And that all the people who have been bitten, who look upon this snake, will be saved. Isn't it odd that Jesus would compare himself to this serpent? Jesus is telling Nicodemus, if you want to be saved, if you want to be born again, you've got to look at me. You've got to look at me. And, and it's not just look, right? Verse 15, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. You've got to look to Jesus. You've got to believe in Jesus. 
Now, as I was reading and studying this week, I came across a, a pastor who was helpful, and I'm using some of his phrases in, in this next part of the sermon, but I thought it was some of the things that he said were just really good. When he's looking back, as we're looking back at this text, Nicodemus doesn't know that Jesus is going to the cross yet, right? As we look back at this text, and we understand that him being lifted up is, is a metaphor for he's going to be on the cross, but it, so as we're looking at this text, we can look back and we can see even a deeper meaning here. And there's a couple of things in this story in Numbers that are a metaphor that will just enrich this for us. And one of those things is this. The pole and the snake is not a preventative measure. You understand that? It's not preventative. The people had a need. The people had been bitten. The people were under the curse. And the snake was not preventative. Jesus doesn't keep us out. There's, as, as Nicodemus might have believed, being a Jew doesn't keep you from being under the curse of this world. The curse of sin. And so just as these people needed to look towards something else, we too, we too have been bitten. We too are under the curse and need to look to Jesus. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You see, these people who needed to look up at this pole, the poison was already in them. Brothers and sisters, the poison is in us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you want me to prove that this morning, we could start with the Ten Commandments. And we don't have to go very far in the Ten Commandments to realize that we're under sin and that we've messed up. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Anybody want to raise their hand? Okay, let's go to the New Testament. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Maybe let's go to the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. We're sinners. The poison is in us. It's been transferred into us by the very first sin, by the very first humans, that we're all under this sin. And the reality of being under this sin is that the Bible tells us over and over and over that the wrath of God is against all unrighteousness. But we're not left there. Notice, as we look at the book of Numbers, isn't it interesting what saves the people? The very thing that is the curse is what saves the people. The snake on the pole, it's a little bit odd, right? Bring this metaphor to Christ. The very thing that saves you. The very thing that saves Nicodemus. The very thing that saves Lewis. Is by looking at the curse. Friends, when Christ was hung on that tree... As we look to Christ, as we look to the cross, we're looking to a curse. Many people say that the cross was the most horrific way to be tortured and to die. 
The very reason that death exists is because it is the punishment on mankind for our sin. And so in a real way, when we look to the cross, when we look at Christ lifted up on that tree, we're looking to the curse to save us. When I look there, I see my sin. A sinless man on that tree taking on my punishment. It's my death. I'm the one who deserved that. My doom. My fate. But thanks be to God, in my place condemned he stood. And the greatest news of all, just like the serpent that's lifted up in the wilderness, all who look to Jesus will be saved. Fascinating. Fascinating. This may be going too far. Think about if you were one of the Israelites and there were serpents all around. They were biting people and killing them. What would your temptation be? Maybe jump around? I don't know, you know? Looking to see where the snakes were to try to avoid them? Isn't it interesting That if you didn't trust God, and if you didn't look to the snake, you wouldn't be saved. Nicodemus, quit looking around to see how you can avoid sin. Quit looking around to see how you can become a better religious person. It won't save you. You're doomed. Only one thing will save you. Look up. Look up. Jesus Christ. Christ exalted. We have to look away from our sin. Away from any aspect or thought that we can earn this. And look to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. He didn't stay there. He didn't stay there. We've been celebrating it all morning. The foundation of our belief is not only that Jesus Christ was put on that cross and was killed. Was murdered. But that he raised from the dead. That God raised him from the dead. And what the Bible tells us is not only, not only can your sins be forgiven... But if you place your trust in Him, if you look to Him, if you believe in Him, that not only are your sins forgiven, but as He was raised, you are raised. And the life you now live is different. You are new. You are changed. And you may say, wait a minute, Lewis. How long would I have to follow you around to see that you still sin? Not very long. Not very long. But I can tell you this. I'm not who I was. And not only that, I'm not who I will be. God's Spirit has done a work in my life and He is changing me. He is conforming me 
moment by moment, sometimes very slowly, into the image of His Son. This salvation and this new life is offered to you. My hope and prayer this morning is that some of you may hear this message and you may stop trying. You may stop trying and that you would look to Him. And some of you this morning have looked to Him for your salvation, but then you've gone back to this rat race of trying to do it on your own and you need to look back at him you can't do it it's the point of the cross it's the point of the resurrection that he has done for us what we could not do and this is the message of easter you can be born again and as always one of the things that we say here often uh, if you would like to talk more about this one of our Elders, myself, Gary, one of the elders, would love to talk to you about it. You can email us, our name's in the bulletin. You can grab us after the service. For those of you who have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have much to celebrate this afternoon. I'm glad you're here. And I hope your afternoon is filled with the joy of knowing that the resurrection has changed everything for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what we couldn't do, you did. God, we are a fallen people that continuously fall short. But God, because of your great mercy, loved us and sent your Son so that we can have a relationship with you. Praise be to God. God, help us to be a people who celebrates. Help us to be a people who lift high the name of Jesus because you're worthy of all of our praise and all the glory. Thank you for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.